Excellent. Okay. So what we're going to do for our opening activity is uh, we're going to watch a short little video and understanding that it's really, that, that relationship is at the core of all of this work. It's our experiences impact our ideas and our ideas impact our actions. And it's only with organic experience that we really, really grow. Um, so how do you do community building and organic relationship building in a group of possibly hundreds of people online disconnected? So what we're going to do is I'm going to put on a short video. Um, it's about three minutes. And during the time you're watching the video, what I'd like you to do is access the chat function. Um, and for the, I'm sorry, I should back up in relationship building and setting good pedagogy. Um, I, I am Martha James. Um, I am an associate professor at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, and have had about 30 years in urban, uh, urban physical education. Uh, about 21 of those in pre-K-12 education. So with that, I'm going to play this video and ask you to use the chat function to just add your reflections, your ideas, your thoughts, your comments. It's a judgment-free zone. Uh, and a couple of my colleagues are gonna be looking at those comments as we watch. So I don't think I can actually make this full screen and still share. So I'm gonna share here and turn my volume way up and we'll rock and roll. Keeps me warm. She keeps me warm. 
heart doesn't heart see race. race. Love has no age limits. We are neighbors and best friends. We all have different religions, but we have universal love as well. <laughs> love is love. Our family is no less than any other family. So with that, um, we only have four comments. Oh, we have a bunch of comments in the chat box. So Brian and John uh, are going to help me out with just a quick little sort of summary of the comments that came online. And then I'm going to try and frame that video for us to help frame the rest of the conversation. Yes. Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Culp from Kennesaw State University. I am a full professor and interim department chair at the moment. And we'll give people about 30 more seconds to sort of put some comments and then John and I will sort of throw out some big themes and then we'll move on to our next section for what we have to do today. Other ideas? Uh, I'm reading some, it's empowering, um, some challenges with it, um, so, some let, let people be who they are, that there's definitely a connectedness between us and I think that, in the divisiveness of our current world, I think that connectedness is really important to remember. Yeah, I'll, I'll give my initial thoughts because I think our 30 minute, a 30 second um, time frame is pretty much over and then I'll turn it over to my colleague, John. Um, I think one of the biggest things that always stands out to me with this video is, is what um, I think Gene White, Dr. White had um, pointed out, which is that it looks like a colorblind position when you show this type of thing the first time. Um, when I've showed this video in my classes, that's typically an example of the types of comments that I will get from my students. Um, and then the other one, which is people are making, is the reactions of people who are in the audience. So a lot of times we have a perception or people may have a perception of what they think they may see until we sort of take that curtain um, for the back of a better words, that's behind. So, John, I didn't know if you had anything to add to that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would I would wholeheartedly uh, agree with those observations, and and I would uh, tack onto those observations the observation uh, of positivity that that there were some of our chat members here that 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 said it made them feel good or it made them feel warm, and 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 I thought it was great the way we talked about how do you introduce this subject matter with regards to being with your feelings. I think uh, that warm feeling or that positive feeling, um, the idea of, of what love is should, should stay with you during our session. And I hope that you uh, try not to minimize those feelings, but in, instead take a look at uh, whether they are detailed and maybe there are moments within which uh, we try to solve things as quickly as possible so that we can continue to feel those good, positive feelings. So just something to consider uh, to hear in your own uh, internal dialogue. So with those comments, as we go to kick off, what I, what, the reason that I wanted to share this with you is I now want you to sit in the discomfort of not being okay with feeling happy and not being okay with being loved. Because the reality was we didn't actually see any of those people. We didn't see their lived struggles. We didn't see the history. We didn't see the oppression. We didn't see the daily challenges we're walking through. So it's really easy in these conversations to fall into the cut of comfort. And what we'd like you to do is understand that we're all uncomfortable in this. Every single person that's asked to teach, that's asked to learn, that's asked to listen, is asked to sit in a certain level of discomfort. So um, one of Glenn Singleton's conditions to these conversations is that we have to expect non-closure. 
So in a one hour time frame, we're not going to get to closure. We're not going to get to a lot of solutions. But this idea of how we frame and whose message is served by that framing is going to be really, really important if we're going to truly be able to interrupt the oppression and bias that impacts all of us, whether directly, indirectly, or on behalf of our students. So with that, um, I'll turn it back over, I think, back to Mara. Um, but I'm not quite sure exactly there. But just remembering that, that what your initial response, even as, and especially if it's super rosy and lovely, is a great place to remember that feeling and live in that feeling, but not be averse to other perspectives and understand that there's a blind spot for you if all you saw was how wonderful it was. Not a criticism, not, not a growth stunting, just a level of, of awareness moving forward. So thank you, Mara. Thank you for that video. I think it was a great kicking off point. We're actually going to go over now to Dr. Hodge, who's going to address the group for a few minutes. Good afternoon. Uh, it is a pleasure to be a part of this conversation. Uh, being uncomfortable is fine, uh, as has been pointed out. I guess I will start with where the video stopped and would say the only part of the video I agree with is the notion that love is love. And so uh, I, I think that is because um, one of the captures, there are many, but one was that I, my heart doesn't see color. And it brings us back to this notion of, uh, I think Dr. Strong pointed it out or made mention of it. Somehow we cannot see the people that we are advocating for or have advocacy for. Um, I take a different approach to that. I think part of the struggle we have in America is this notion that sameness is rightness. And my counter narrative to that is that difference is what we should be embracing and not somehow some notion that um, we all should come up to a certain standard. I don't view us as having a standard. And in fact, um, so that, that brings me to the piece I'm supposed to speak about, and that are some of the historical events that took place in 1968. I made mention on a previous podcast meeting that this period of time, 2020, um, reminds me very much of 1968. 1968 through the 1970s, as a child of the 1960s, 1970s, I recall a lot of things happening in America and across the world quite frankly, uh, but certainly in America. And so I won't attempt to give you a historical account of all those things. Uh, if you just type in historical event in 1968, you will find some of the things that I'm talking about, such as the assassination of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King or Kennedy, uh, the Vietnam War and what was going on with that, the uh, Carlos uh, Smith, uh, uh, the Olympic athletes who did Black Power, uh, the Black Panther, it, the list goes on and on and on. And the reason I mentioned 1968 and beyond is because the feeling in the country at the time was that America had reached its boiling point and that race relationships, as it was called back then, would change forever. And that progress had been made and that progress would continue on this ascending trend and we would never be the same again. But in 2020, what we see is very much similar things that we saw in 1968. You could replace the Black Panthers with Black Matters 
Black Lives Matter. Police brutality is still taking place. We're still in war. Uh, that hasn't changed a whole lot. We're still assassinated, maybe not physically by shooting, but we are killing leaders um, in our country as well. So I, I, I make that statement to say that progress, if you think of it in the analogy of a ladder, that you climb certain ring, uh, rungs on the ladder, there's no guarantee that you will stay at that position. Progress is not static. It's dynamic. And you can regress as well. So this is part of the reason that there is a continued battle and a continued fight. I guess the last thing I will say is uh, getting to the paper itself that some of you may have had a chance to a chance to read, and uh, perhaps we can talk about that more. But uh, what I was attempting to do in the paper I'm speaking of is ideological repositioning, uh, where I attempt to define race, social justice, and offer some comments about promise. Uh, I know someone had summarized the paper as a reflection on white bias. Uh, my attempt was to go beyond white bias. We all have biases. Uh, that was not really the notion I was getting at. Uh, I was getting at the notion of whiteness as property, as whiteness being defined as rightness, and rightness being defined as righteousness, that there was a greater morality and virtue and decency and blamelessness for those who possess the property of whiteness. In contrast, uh, if we're speaking of, about black and white primarily here, uh, then blackness was defined as wickedness, immoral, lack of virtue, indecent. So therefore, those who had the property of whiteness could always use that property of whiteness against blackness. And so when we start to think about, well, how is it that you could uh, beat a man multiple times and not be found guilty as they did in Rodney King, King incident. Well, if you if you start off with the premise that white is right and black is wrong, you will find ways to do that. Uh, if that is still the case in 2020, you will find ways to do that. In fact, one of the lawyers from one of the policemen at, in Minnesota was outraged that they would even charge the officers, although all of us witnessed him uh, on the neck of George Floyd for nearly nine minutes but he was outraged that they would even be charged. Uh, that's trying to cash in on the property of whiteness. Um, I know I'm saying these things rather quickly and directly, uh, but I'm conscious of the time as well. So uh, I also suggest that you probably, at least some would not agree with these comments, but hopefully you will give some thought to them. So if we're gonna, if we're gonna change the narrative, we're gonna reposition, Reposition is, is total reckoning with the establish, establishment of race from the beginning and how whiteness has been centralized. Repositioning is, is the intentional rethinking about what race means, the, the illusion and reality of race, that race can be mo both more and less than what it actually is. And the last thing I will say is repositioning means intentional deconstruction of whiteness as property. Great. Are we ready, team, to head to the breakout rooms? So at this point, we actually did something a little bit different than we've done in last and past peak collaborative meetings, partially because uh, the Zoom functions have uh, updated so we can do the small breakout rooms. So we divided the whole group into smaller breakout rooms that were facilitated with some of the panelists. 
And we chose not to record these on purpose. So, so people felt a little bit more comfortable asking those tough questions and having those tough conversations. Um, so what you'll hear now is actually the wrap up of the final meeting. And then that rolls into a meeting uh, with four different panelists that discuss what happened in those breakout rooms. And then that ends up uh, closing out the podcast. So traditionally right now, you would have gone into a breakout room, but um, we're going to go in and review those at the end. Yeah, I think it looks like we're all back. So um, Dr. Hodge and Dr. Russell, if you want to jump in. Uh, Dr. Russell can go first if he likes. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. You know, it's always better to end with the great ones than to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see everybody. I, I just really uh, want to emphasize a couple of things that came out with our in our, our breakout room about reflecting and thinking deeply about our practices, our experiences, our teachings, what we hold dear to heart as far as values and pedagogical approaches and things of that nature. And as one of our, our participants said, unlearning some of those things, thinking differently about them and understanding that there's a different perspective to offer your students, regardless of their backgrounds, particularly those students who come from diverse backgrounds, that the system that you came through did not necessarily address to the best interest of those students. So have to unlearn some things and then relearn best practices, promising practices, things that you should be doing to make sure that every student has an opportunity to be successful. We can't make students be successful, but we can set up an environment and a climate that will do so that they can do the best they can do and feel good about their experience. And that's really what we're really here about to some extent. So those are some of the things that really stood out to me in this conversation, reviewing, reflecting, unlearning bad behaviors and bad approaches, things that we know don't work for every student and relearning some things that we know are best and promising practices going forward. And it's a process. It's not meant to be done in one webinar or one meeting or by reading one book, but it's about a lifelong progress and getting better and more uh, apt at meeting the needs of students and making your way through. So I end with that. Dr. Hodge. Uh, thank you very much. Let me say it's always good to see my friend and colleague, Dr. Martha James, uh, because I started out by criticizing the video that was played uh, we are in the same battle. I, I understand that, and iron sharpens iron, I believe. So it's good to see you. Uh, I think it was important to show that that video because having these conversations mean that we will certainly not always agree with one another, and that's what allows us to grow. Um, and I, I, I can make this comment by giving myself the excuse that, I'm a, that I am a grumpy old man. So. No, grumpy old man can pretty much say whatever it is they want to say and, and sometimes get away with it. Uh, and I say that to say that the, the focus of this particular meeting was a discussion on race, racism, and anti-blackness. Now, I would say only about 20% of the conversations had much to do with racism or anti-blackness. In fact, uh, I don't know that, in, uh, of course, I don't know what happened in other rooms whether or not, in fact, there was a conversation about anti-Blackness, perhaps there was. So when I started out with all the comments I made and used some terms that are not very comfortable terms to use, um, I would ask those of you who are reflective to think about challenging yourself, 
I know it's difficult sometimes challenging students within our classes. Uh, I, I teach at a predominantly white institution, Ohio State University. I'm supposed to say the Ohio State University. Uh, and most of my classes, if I have 80, 85 students in a class, I may have five black students, another student. Uh, most, mostly uh, the other students are white students. And, and, and increasingly, students are speaking out and against the messages that we're trying to deliver. And I see that as a good thing. Just as, as I see all of you who have joined this meeting as good, it means this matters, uh, that you would join in. And whether or not you feel uncomfortable with the conversations, whether or not you feel uncomfortable with me saying white, uh, whiteness versus blackness versus anti-blackness, those are terms and concepts that we need to know. Um, we have an advantage when we're talking to students because they are, you know, pretty much a captive audience. And they may not always like what you say or the ideas you put forward or the theories, but for the most part, they will behave for the most part. What is difficult is challenging your colleagues. When they make certain comments or when they have certain, let me give you an example. Uh, in admissions and how certain students are always, um, over the 25 years I've been at my institution, um, I've come to learn that when certain colleagues do not want to admit a student who qualifies and all of the criteria we use, letters of reference, GRE, uh, GPA, GRE, whatever the criteria are, what they will say is, well, this person doesn't seem to be emotionally um, mature. Well, there's no way to evaluate that. But it's a way to dismissing certain students. So what I'm saying here is that, yes, it's difficult to confront students in our classes. Necessary, sometimes difficult, but not nearly as difficult as it is to confront our colleagues. And it was mentioned in our breakout room, you know, when you're tenured, perhaps you have more freedom to do that. I would suggest to you that your morality should not kick in once you get tenured. It should be there all along. Um, so these are, you know, it, it, then again, you know, I'm, I guess you decide what is important and critical for you in the processes that you're a part of. But if this thing is going to change in our physical education, teacher education programs, we need to change and help our colleagues within our programs because they are, in fact, the persons who are in positions to make decisions about who gets into the program, who leaves the program, who's not admitted, and then who goes out into the workforce and make, makes a difference in the workforce. So I would encourage you and ask you to you know, I'm currently reading a book by uh, Michael Eric Dyson. It's called Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America. Um, it's an excellent book. Um, I mentioned that to say, continue to educate and re-educate yourself. So when you have these conversations that you are, it's not, your experiences are wonderful and important and should be a part of that, but bring into uh, perspectives of others as well from the literature also. I, as Dr. Russell did, I think I will stop at this point. Sarah, do you want to jump in? Sure. Um, I would just wanted to, to say that um, 
we we definitely appreciate that the Peak Collaborative has sort of given us the space to um, come in and, and share with all of you today. And there's been a few comments in the chat about wanting additional resources and and strategies and things like that. And this this group, we don't have a name. It's just a group of us that are committed to this type of work. Um, and we do have plans for future like resources or um, trainings, things like that, um, that can be helpful specific to PE. Um, but I think uh, I think it was sort of best said by, I believe uh, Kenidra Tucker said it in our breakout room that um, focusing on what you can do first rather than what you're unable to do is a, is a great first step. So um, I just wanted to share that we, we've got plans, not only short-term, but long-term to, to roll out some things to help folks that are interested in, in learning more and, and doing better. And um, we will likely uh, ask the Peak Collaborative to help us uh, share those resources when, they, when they're available. So um, absolutely. Oh, there's some, uh, another quick reminder in the chat from Risto that the next Peak Collaborative is in August. So, um, but that's, that's all I have, Jamie. Great. Um, thank you, everyone. If anyone else from the panelist group has anything to share, we have a couple of minutes before we need to wrap up. Dr. Russell, do you want to like take us out? Like, you know, give us some final words of wisdom there. Do we need some theme music, maybe some marching <laughs> music, something like that? I could sing, I, but I don't think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, I like to just say that this work is, is hard. This work has been done by others prior to us. We're not alone and you have to take care of yourself. Self-care is part of this process too. You have to be able to, it's kind of like the, when you say on the airplane, when the oxygen mask come down, you have to make sure you secure your own before you work with others. You make sure you work with others, but make sure you're taking your care of yourself as you go through this process, because it's not easy. That's why we have this community sitting here together. We can lean on each other. And those of you who are totally lost, feel free to reach out. And, and contact people and work our way through this because it's going to take it's going to take some time. This is not going to change overnight. And like uh, Dr. Hodge said, we have to be focused. We have to be very very focused on what we're trying to get to get done. What are we trying to make change? What are we trying to address? And if we can do that, we'll make small incremental steps. Hopefully, that will build into something that we really want down the road. So, best of luck to everybody. Stay healthy. Stay well stay upright and we'll get there. Great. Thank you so much, everyone. And we hope to see you in August and we'll have a topic announced um, the week prior. So um, stay well, everyone, and have a great rest of your week. All right. So uh, this section is basically just an overview of the breakout rooms. Uh, we have individuals from uh, a couple of the different breakout rooms and we just wanted to not record those breakout rooms and put that conversation on uh, on the podcast just so people are uh, feeling comfortable about having those conversations. So um, we got Tara, uh, Sarah, and Brian here. So uh, any, anybody want to, did I say Tara? Tara. Tara. <laughs> Tara. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm just like, this is my only voice piece right now. This is my only time that I have to speak in the whole podcast. And I started it wrong. It's probably Brian, right? Take two. Take two. All right. Uh, so who wants to start? I was in the same thing as Tara, so I'll, I'll let her speak on, on our uh, breakout session. Well, I wasn't on the last collaborative, so I can't 
um, compare, but from what I've gathered is people were very nice and they didn't want to go deep the last time. I, I, I kind of sensed that was the same today. Um, I think that the groups need to be smaller in order for people to really dig deep, dig deeper. Um, I just think there is too large. The same three people were basically talking and I just don't think it's an opportunity to, to just go deeper. I think you need a, I think it needs to be more like four people, believe it or not. And some people are still just for ideas and they don't want to address their own biases where even some of the conversations where they're not looking at themselves, it's everything is external. That's what I took away from. Risto, I don't know if you felt the same way in our breakout group. Well, but I well it's interesting because I would agree that it wasn't super, super deep, but it was way deeper than the last time. So the first one was, I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable speaking in front of a hundred people about race issues, especially if they're white or and just have no idea and haven't read any of the research. Um, I think you're, you're probably right that two, three, four people in a room can actually get really into it because you can't hide. I think, I think we had 18 or 17 people in that group and yeah, it was probably four or five people that talked, but I think we're moving in the right direction for sure. And I, and I really hope what comes from this is that individual people will have these conversations over the phone or on Zoom with their colleagues in breakout sessions that aren't recorded, aren't going on podcasts, aren't, you know, but just having those tough conversations about how am I supposed to do this with my class? I don't really know. And having a trusted person to, to talk, talk through that. So uh, Sarah and Brian, were you in different uh, breakout groups? Yeah, I was in a different breakout group and, and I'll be honest, there, there was probably only about four or five folks in our group as well that felt comfortable enough to share. And, and those that did, a few people were very forthcoming and saying, and saying like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, but uh, the, um, I think, I think what you both just said was, is totally accurate that, you know, people feel very uncomfortable about this. And, you know, I've, I've done research and, and worked in urban communities for over a decade now. And, and I still am learning so much and addressing so much in my own uh, approach to teaching, just my own, like challenging my own biases every day, things like that. Um, and something that I guess I wasn't super aware of um, is, is the emotion that, that white people feel when it comes to this. Um, that's something that, that's really been brought to the forefront recently. Um, several authors have, have talked about, um, the notion of, of wanting to be that good white person and, and saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing could be like the, the worst thing you could possibly do. And so, so I think in a, in a field where there are so many white folks, yes, we, there's a tendency to be afraid to say the wrong thing or not do the right thing. And so, um, you get complicit and and we can't do that anymore and so this is my this is my call or my challenge white folks we have to do better um we have like if you're not uncomfortable yet like get there um so uh 
yeah, I think having those conversations, doing the work individually and, and with smaller groups, it could be a great strategy to, to kind of get that going forward. And, and I hope that we get some momentum. That's kind of why we wanted to ask the collaborative if we could sort of take this space over again to continue that conversation because it's been a long time in our field that ha hasn't been addressed. So Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would, um, you know, concur on both of those points. I think our group was a little bit more active on chat than they were like talking. I would probably say we probably had about five or six people who sort of communicate during that chat. I think the biggest thing that, well, one of the first takeaways was we'll actually start at the end with what Dr. Hodge said. I mean, you know, we essentially had an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and 30 minutes, if you really want to kind of just be creative with it to talk, tackle a really big issue. And the reason why I think the group, we all talked about like what article would be the first one to discuss was good for Dr. Hodge to tell us that we really need to talk about changing mindset which is why I suggested the ideological repositioning article, because there's just so much that we have not gotten into. The point that he made about anti-blackness, we tried to get into that, but anti-blackness has multiple layers and it requires a under fundamental understanding of the United States of America in terms of what it has not done for black people. And really, understanding some aspects related to physicality, which we sort of touched on, but we really didn't have an opportunity to get into. And I firmly believe that um, physical education is needs to be a method by which to tackle issues related to race, anti-racism, and all these pieces, just because of the fact that a lot of these issues we're dealing with right now are physical issues. They're position issues. They're issues of where does a black person's body feel safe in a white space. These are discussions, as you sort of mentioned, Sarah, they're very difficult for, first of all, a lot of people to have, but in my experience, a lot of white people to have because they've never thought about the history. The other piece that we talked about was what can we do when we get back to classes or whatever people consider normalcy is, which I sort of laugh at because I don't think we're in a we're in a normal situation. I don't, I don't think there is going to be normal anymore. But looking at it in terms of what images are we using to talk about people? And one of the things that I remember from the chat is that obviously many of us have been online teaching and the fact that folks are trying to use examples from online teaching and they can't find examples of what they want students to see with blacks, black people, right? And that's a very difficult thing. The other piece is we look at physical education textbooks and a, a two great comments were made about things that I think many of us have noticed for a long time is that they have a very focused European bent related to physical education. Even though we know that in the history of all these countries, we've had different things that have happened um, to um, really for this conversation, black groups and those experiences have not been really discussed, brought up. Um, and then I think the last point that we, we discussed was in terms of the academy, in terms of are we, are we in terms of a discipline and academy demonstrating behaviors that would make black people want to be a part of what we're doing? 
and I talked about briefly the litany of things that we've all seen in terms of professors screaming at it, other colleagues down the hall, um, people attacking graduate students. And we recognize that when you have groups that are coming from situations where they are always feeling like the outsider, that's only going to accentuate the fact that they're outsider if they're coming into that particular type of situation that some people would consider abusive or traumatic. So did that get everything? I know I kind of went on for a while. I get kind of worked up at these things. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was great. I think, I think one of the things that I saw at the very end in the chat was a lot of people asking for resources and saying, what, what can I do? What do I do? And, you know, there's some, there's some differing opinions here. You know, it's, you can also go and look, like you can go in and search and there's a ton of research and there's a ton of, you know, if you just type into Google and you start doing that, doing that time. And I think, I think that's the tough piece. And this is me speaking from being a white male, like, you know, going out and asking to be given these resources. Like, how do I teach this? You know, you got to really do the work. You got to do the work and you got it. There's tons of books out there that could be used as shells. Sarah, you have one. Jen Walton Facet has one that talks about social justice that gives these case studies that could be used. And, and I think you know, and I, and I don't know how this feels from the other side, but I, I would assume that it could be almost insulting for scholars who are doing work on this to say, hey, can you just send me the resources? I wanna plug and play this into my online course. Whereas people who have been doing this work are going, read my paper, read my book. Like this, is my, this has been my career in academia to produce these resources. And you, all you need to do is kind of look it up. So I don't know if you want to comment on that for those people who are doing this work. I'll comment, Risto. I, I do agree. I think that in our in our group, the people asking for the information, they wanted they want us to spoon feed them. And I think in order for them to understand the process or things that they should be doing, they they they're going to have to experience. Um, locating the materials themselves, doing the reading, because you just have a different feeling when you're, you're actually participating. This is why we have practical opportunities for our students. So they appear, at least our group or some of them, they are not practicing what is preached to peak candidates. So they actually have to do some experiential learning and practice and work those muscles um, just like we would in the gym, um, but from an anti-Black perspective. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. And it is, um, I think, it, it's kind of condescending if you really look at it, but then that's something else that just needs to be brought to their attention or they need to be made aware. Like, I think the lack of awareness um, was pretty evident among many in our, in our group. And there was a comment at the end of saying, uh, I think it may have been in our group, but that, you know, there's going to be a different type of student that's coming back to campus. They, they have been, they've gone through a lot of life lessons that we have not given them that they've learned from society and learned from what's happening. And, 
you know, maybe they've read articles or read books or blogs and they're much more, even, you know, because of what's happening, if we're not ready to talk about it, we're going to get challenged in the classroom. And I think that, you know, we have to be prepared to be able to discuss this and have these tough conversations. And you're kind of assuming that in the fall, you can just go in and plug and play your syllabus from last spring and just recreate it online or in person. I think it's going to be very tough to one, build those relationships with students because they're going to see right through you and they're going to look at you and go, are we not addressing the elephant in the room? Because 2019 is not 2020. Well, I think it's actually the same student. I think the climate has given them the courage to advocate and hold um, their professors accountable. So I think it's the same student. I mean, that's what we've, we've been experiencing at Towson where black students um, are starting to speak out things that they've been feeling all along. I think now there is some energy that, okay, I'm not the only one feeling like this. This is a national um, problem. So I think they're, they're a little naive thinking that it's a different student. Um, I think that the belief that white is right is no longer um, going to be the belief. And so I think that probably is some fear on white faculty um, point that it's actually the same student. And I think they may have a fear of being confronted or called out on the behaviors that our students experience all of the time, but they tend to sit in silence instead of speak out because they're, you know, one or two students in the, in the particular course or program. So. I agree with that. And, and I would just add the images that we have not provided for them, the perspectives that we have not provided for our students, they're going to bring them and they're going to bring them in with technology. And if we're not ready for that, and we're, if we're not ready to have that discourse, if we're not ready to sort of learn from that perspective, I think we're going to be behind in a lot of ways um, from a, first of all, from a human perspective, but also from a pedagogical perspective as well. Sarah, any uh, final finishing thoughts there? Uh, no, I think I think this this peak collaborative meeting I think was just um, you know another small step in the direction that our field needs to go. And um, I think Dr. Russell mentioned it at the end, uh, and and Dr. Hodge as well that this is a this is a marathon not a sprint and it it takes you know um thoughtfulness by on everyone's part to kind of do these things daily and make it part of your practice um it's not going to be you know you're not going to earn a badge um you know in in two weeks time uh for being anti-racist it's it's not it's a it's a constant that we have to it's an ideological repositioning to use the the terms that that Dr. Hodge did, so um, it's it's hard, and that's but it's necessary. Um, thanks, and and I know that you know this these two last meetings have come through the Peak Collaborative, uh, and I and I want to make sure that everybody who's out there listening understands that you know 
the peak collaborators was defined or made because we had this crisis of COVID and trying to figure out online teaching. We wanted to build community. And I don't feel like, you know, whoever's in, in that group that originally started it, we don't, we're not the gatekeepers, right? We're not like stepping aside and giving you the platform. It's, you know, this is our community and it should be given or occupied by whoever has important stuff that's important to talk about. And, you know, me leading a conversation on race and racism and anti-blackness is probably not the best thing for our community. I need to step aside and let people who have done research in that area to have that conversation. And I, you know, I feel like this doesn't, the space doesn't belong to any one person or one group or, you know, one click. I feel like it should be used for exactly this spreading the the knowledge of people who have been doing this work for decades you know having someone like dr hodge and dr russell and dr harrison on to lead conversations about this stuff they should be the ones that are leading that conversation but tara i think you're spot on also in in minimizing those groups and i would challenge anybody to find another colleague or two set up a time on a zoom call maybe play battleship on the calendar uh, and send a random note and say, this is when we're gonna talk about these issues and start those small groups and, and go find that information uh, out there together. Because sometimes it's daunting alone, but at the same time, if you hold other people accountable, um, we can get some really good stuff done in bigger groups once a month and then in those smaller groups on a weekly and daily basis. So, uh, thanks everybody. Any other final thoughts or are we, are we good? All right, we got some thumbs up. All right.